How are you today? Good, good. It's, uh, it's Sunday morning. I think you figured out that out by now. And um, it's good to be together. Thank you so much for being at Spring Valley. My name is Joe. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's uh, just a joy to be together. I look forward to Sunday mornings. I wake up on Sunday mornings and the first words out of my mouth are, it's Sunday. And I just, I love Sunday mornings. I uh, just feel honored to be able to share God's word with you this morning. First, I want to give you a building update. Everyone just make some noise if you know we're going to build a building. Make some noise. All right. All right. So here, here's where we're at. And you're like, Joe, you haven't given a building update in a while. Let me just tell you, it's been five months of just waiting for engineers to finish calculations. There's not much to update. The update would have been, yes, we're still working with the calculator. But um, good news, this Wednesday, October 19th, we are going before the planning commission, and uh, I'm going to go, and um, some of the members of our building team are going to go. Uh, our, our firm that's working with our site plans is going to go, and we're going to ask the planning commission of North Coventry Township for final approval. Will they give it to us? We sure hope so, all right? We're, uh, we're hoping. Um, however, um, there are some good signs that it seems like they're getting ready to give us approval. I'm not guaranteeing that, and I'll give you an update um, via email to let you know how that meeting goes. Uh, we need three approvals before we put a shovel in the ground, before I buy a shovel from Home Depot, uh, spray paint it gold, and we all eat cake, all right? Before we can do that, um, we need to get three approvals. We got one uh, already, which was great, and, we're gonna, and this next one on Wednesday night is the big one. It's the final approval from the Planning Commission, and then we have to go before the Board of Supervisors, but this is the hardest one. And so our hope is that we would break ground in the next couple months. Now, don't hold me to that, because you've probably heard me say that before, and I've just learned that putting a timeline on these things is just foolishness. But we're moving towards the goal, and uh, we're hoping to build right on time in the dead of winter. So that'll be awesome. Um, I want to ask you to please keep praying. Um, I love what Lee said, uh, noon every day, praying for uh, the pastoral staff of Spring Valley. I mean, that blesses my heart in a huge way. Um, but if you could just add to that little reminder to pray for our building, just ask God to give us favor. And um, would you pray with us that on Wednesday, we're granted final approval. And I'm going to ask you to really pray. Pray, pray, and pray. Um, Proverbs tells us that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. So I really believe that when we pray, it can change the decisions that human beings make. And you're like, how does that work? Don't know. The hands of the king is in the hand, or the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. So we're going to pray and ask God to give us favor. And I know we've prayed quite a bit this morning for different things, but can we pray over our building project before we dive into God's word this morning? Would you just join with me? Lord Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are so good. And Lord, you don't owe us a building. We haven't been setting up and tearing down for so long that magically we deserve it. But God, you're providing for us. And Lord, we believe it's your will that you would give us a building. And Lord, you know, and I know, and we know that this is a long process, and we've needed to be patient. And Lord, I want to say thank you this morning for the people of God at Spring Valley who have stayed committed to the mission during this waiting time. Thank you for their patience, God. And Lord, we ask you today that on Wednesday, when we go to that meeting, that they would say yes to us. God, we ask you as your kids asking our Father, would you move in their hearts to give us approval so we can get going? Lord, all things are in your hands. Our lives are in your hands. And there is a time for everything. And Lord, we pray that a time to build would be soon. But God, no matter the outcome, you're good. And we agree to that this morning. And I agree 
with my family this morning. You are good. Bless this service. Bless this message. Uh, bless it in spite of me, Lord. Open up our hearts. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Today's message, changed life, changed living. Changed life, changed living. So this morning, we're continuing our series in the book of 1 Peter, and we're calling this series Homesick. So I just want to point out to you why we've called this series Homesick. Peter, uh, you know Peter, he's the guy who, uh, one of Jesus' apostles, and always sticking his foot in his mouth, but God used him in mighty ways. And Peter wrote a letter to Christians who were living in Asia Minor, which we know today as modern-day Turkey, and these Christians were facing the threat of persecution. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says this, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So the reason we're calling this series Homesick is because Peter calls his audience strangers, strangers in the world. Peter is reminding followers of Jesus that your residence, your citizenship is not in this temporary world, but rather you were created and called to a different homeland. And so in the meantime, between here and there, we're strangers. We're strangers. I love Peter because he is incredibly practical when it comes to teaching God's people how to be strangers in the world. Last week, Pastor Andrew taught us uh, how Peter opened up his letter, and he reminded, the first thing Peter does in his letter is he reminds these strangers who are aliens and strangers and exiles, depending on your translation, he tells these strangers what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to hear these words, and I want them to just wash over you like God's grace and just be reminded of God's goodness. We sang about God's goodness. Now hear God's goodness from God's word. This is what Peter says is true of followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this can be true of you today if you will give your life to Jesus because he wants you. This is what it says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Everyone say new birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? If you are a Christian, meaning you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, not if you grew up in a Christian family and you just kind of became a Christian by osmosis. That's not how it works. In order to become a Christian, you have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But if that's true of you, if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you need to know that you have been given new birth. Now, I'll never forget, I had a friend in middle school. His name was Adam. And when he found out I was a born-again Christian, he laughed out loud and mocked me to my face. He goes, and I quote, you're a born-again? Like, you're one of those? Now, let's be real. Born-again has some negative connotations in our culture for whatever reason, because sometimes people do things in the name of Jesus that look nothing like Jesus. Amen? Like, yeah, we've seen that before, okay? Uh, we call that Facebook. All right, but, then, but the truth is, the truth is, 
is that you have been born again. You've been given new birth. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were created brand new spiritually. You became a newborn in the family of God. And that's incredible news. God has done that for you because of faith, and you haven't earned it. And not only have you received new birth, but you also have profound hope. You have been born into hope because Jesus rose from death. So our hope is in Jesus, and because Jesus lives, our hope is living. And then Peter also says, because you've experienced new birth, there is an inheritance waiting for you. How many of us would like to inherit a lot of money someday? Just raise your hand. Like, no one's like, nah, not me. I'd like to get nothing. No one's here. I mean, if you're saying that, you're so much spiritual than me, congratulations. But some of us are like, yeah, I'd like to get an inheritance someday. And you're like, well, wait a minute, does that mean you want people you love to die? No. But the truth is, is wouldn't it be great someday if you just got a big pile of cash? And we're like, yeah, that sounds great. But here's the better news than a big pile of cash. You have an inheritance coming to you. The Bible says that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Catch this. All that Jesus is getting ready to inherit, he's going to share with you. Does that sound better than a big pile of cash? Yeah. Like, what does Jesus have? Everything. What belongs to Jesus? All things. What's going to belong to you when you get your inheritance? All things. All things are yours in Jesus Christ, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 22 through 24. All things are yours. That's great news this morning, isn't it? That this is what's true about you and about me. And here's what I want you to know this morning. It is all a gift from God. You haven't earned it and you can't earn it. It's all because of God's mercy towards us. We are people who have experienced the incredible kindness and goodness of God. Why is that important? Why am I repeat preaching Pastor Andrew's message from last week, which he did an amazing job with? Why do I want you to know that? Because this morning, we are going to look at some very serious and weighty demands that God puts on our lives through the writing of Peter. So here's what I want you to know this morning. This is so important if you want to understand this message and you want to make sure you understand the heart of Christianity. Because you could be confused this morning and walk out thinking that God is going, you know, you can earn stuff. You can earn new birth. You can't earn new birth. We must keep in mind that the demands we're going to read about today come after we've experienced God's grace. Peter is not telling us how to get God to like you. He is telling you how to respond because you've been given new birth. Today is about how we respond to new birth. So think of it this way. A changed life leads to changed living. A changed life leads to changed living. So there's three things I want to teach you today. And I'll say this you'll probably be less and less excited as I tell you them. These demands get weightier and weightier and weightier. And the last one, some of you are going to say, I don't think that's biblical. 
and I'll just point to you in the scriptures how, why it is, okay? So I know that little defense attorney that lives inside of you, you're like, I don't have a defense attorney. Yes, you do. Every time you hear the scriptures and you think, that's fine, I don't agree with it, that's the defense attorney. I have one in my head, you have one in your head. So I'm going to tell you, when we get to point three especially, tell the defense attorney to sit down and put him, in his, or put him or her in her place. Got it? All right, good. Three things that we're supposed to do in response to the new birth. Number one, live in hope. Live in hope. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, therefore, therefore. So you're, when you see a therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask, what's it therefore? Okay, some of you don't know that, some of you do. When you see therefore in the scripture... You need to go back and see what the author said before. And I just told you what the author said before. You've been given new birth. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So in English, this doesn't really come out real well, but I want you to know that in the Greek, the main verb in this sentence is set your hope fully. That's the first thing we're supposed to do in response to the new birth. We're supposed to set our hope fully. After we come to Christ, the location of our hope is supposed to change. Our hope is supposed to relocate from the temporary hopes of this world to a future event. As we talked about last week, we have a tendency to put our hopes in all kinds of places. We hope in our careers, we hope in our retirement accounts, we hope in our children, we hope in our politicians, we hope in our sports team. Sorry, Carson Wentz. Like, we just have this hope. I know that's painful for the Eagles fans. You're not ready to talk about it, but he's a human being. Because when we put our hope in temporary places, we always get disappointed. So Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is to be revealed. Here's what Peter is saying. No matter how hard and how painful life gets, how many of us have had hard and painful days? I have. You have. No matter how difficult it is to live as a stranger, the day is coming when you and I are going to receive grace when Jesus Christ comes again. So some of you are saying, wait a minute, haven't I already experienced the grace of God because I'm a Christian? Yes. In the Bible, there's all different kinds of grace. There is a unique grace that is coming to your life when Jesus comes again. One thing that I think it's important for you to believe, because this, I'm just going to be real, this is one of those crazy things that Christians believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is going to return to earth and make all things new, and right every wrong. So we believe in the second coming of Christ, and Peter says, put your hope in that day. Hebrews 9.28 puts it this way. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Okay, so what is Peter say, or what is the author of Hebrews saying? Jesus is going to come again, And this time he's not coming to deal with sin. He already did that the first time he came, his death and resurrection. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Circle that in your Bible or highlight that on your app. Not to deal with sin, 
but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So here's where your hope is supposed to be this morning. Your hope is supposed to be rooted in the reality that the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to return to earth and we will experience our final, complete salvation. So you are saved, quote-unquote, if you've put your faith in Jesus, but your salvation is not complete yet. Your salvation will be completed when Jesus Christ comes a second time. And that's when we get the inheritance, and that's when the party starts, and that's when all those dark days just instantly become a distant memory. That's going to be an awesome day. Some of you are like, I hope that day comes tomorrow. I hope that day comes before the first Tuesday in November. Like, we get it, right? Like, we want that day. All right, but here's what's strange about this text. We are being commanded to feel something. Hope is an emotion, Hope is an emotion. How do I know hope is an emotion? Because you talk to people, and what do they say? I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling hopeful. Sometimes you, you scroll through your news feed, and you're like, hopelessness, despair, discouragement, anger, frustration, worry, anxiety. And hope is not there, right? So let me ask this wild question. How in the world are we supposed to feel hope if we find ourselves feeling hopeless or feel fearful or frustrated? How many of us in the last week have felt hopeless, fearful, or frustrated? Yeah, me, you, we, us, the human experience. How do we feel stuff? How can God put a demand on our life, feel something? You're like, that's not fair. Well, he tells us how to do it, so it is fair. Here's how we feel stuff, with our minds, with our minds. Peter tells us that in order to set our hope fully on the grace to come, we need to do two things. First, you need to prepare your mind for action. In the Greek, it's actually preparing your mind for action. This literally means gird up the loins of your mind. So what does that mean, gird up the loins of your mind? So Jewish men, all right, in Jesus' day and in Peter's day, used to wear long outer shirts. We call those dresses. All right, so they had these long outer shirts that went down to their ankles, and then they had a belt around their waist. And to gird up your loins, you're like, you're going to learn something new today, is to tuck the shirt into the belt over and over again so that the outer shirt comes up to your knees so it looks like you're wearing a miniskirt. And so, and so the idea is, is that when your loins aren't girded up, it's really hard to run fast and do stuff that's strenuous. Like, you can't go to the gym in a full-length dress, dudes, can you, and have a really good workout and not have people judge you. Like, that just isn't possible. But if you gird up your loins, you can do it. In our vernacular, we might say that Peter is telling us, roll up your sleeves and get to work. To prepare your mind for action, then, is to think hard about the truth of who God is and what God has done and what God says about the future so that what you think about feeds your hope. Do you understand that? What you think about feeds your hope. So this really says to us what we fill our minds with affects how we hope. And then the second thing Peter says is be self-controlled. Actually, literally, this means be sober. Like, don't have too much to drink. So we're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, over and over again. 
All right, at Spring Valley, we don't say no one should ever drink alcohol or you're going to hell. We don't believe that. We don't, make, we don't major on the minors. But I will say this to you. There are many cautions in Scripture about the overuse of alcohol. And so Peter actually says, be sober. And I think he means that literally, and he means it spiritually. Peter wants us to have clear minds. In order to live in hope, you need to think energetically about the truth, and you need to think clearly about the truth. And so this tells us about something about how we're wired as people. Catch this. How God has designed you as a person is that what you think about determines how you feel. Your mind serves your heart. Your thoughts impact your emotions. So what are you supposed to do if you're feeling hopeless, frustrated, angry, worried, concerned? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be tough and start thinking about the right things. Here's a wild idea. I get in trouble for saying this. I apologize. Maybe if we turned off Fox News and CNN for 10 minutes and prayed and got God's word into our heart, maybe if we fed our soul with scripture and prayer and worship, we wouldn't look exactly like the world. Maybe we wouldn't look like a deer in the headlights saying, I think the world's going to end next November. Like I think we might be spiritually healthy in the midst of chaos if we're feeding our hearts with the truth about who God is and who we are. And what does that take? Hard work. It's easy to binge watch Netflix. That takes zero effort. He doesn't say roll up your sleeves and sit on the couch and enjoy the game. He says think hard. And some of us don't want to do the hard work of thinking. We just want to take life as it is. And, and then we wonder, why am I discouraged? Why am I so upset? Why do I have no hope for our nation or our church or our children? Or some of us get into escapism. I just want to go away from here. Listen, there are many moments I want to escape, church. I do hope Jesus comes now. Now would be a good time. The sermon would end and we'd be better off. But God hasn't called us to a life of escapism. He's called us to a life of making disciples. And here's what I've observed about people. When we're living hopeless and fearful lives, we get distracted and we don't put or give our lives to God's mission. This is why time with Jesus every morning or every evening is so critical to your life because you got to feed that mind so that your feelings can be hopeful in the midst of a lot of darkness. That's good, right? I thought that was a good part of the message. That was good. Thank you. Woo! I need a nap and a Gatorade after that. All right, number two. It's never like, that's never very endearing. I think that guy just complimented himself four times. That's awesome. Just have a little pastor appreciation up here. Thanks for being gracious. Number two, live in holiness. Live in holiness. Oh, this is really brings the crowds in. Man, if you have a holiness time, like if you say, hey, this week we're talking about holiness, people just clear their calendars. Can't wait to talk about that. Peter says this, verse 14, as obedient children, so we got to talk about that, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, 
because I am holy. That's God speaking in Leviticus 19:2. God says to the people of Israel, "Be holy because I am holy." And God says, or and Peter reminds us that that applies to the church of Jesus Christ, "Be holy because God is holy." So in the Bible, fathers are called to love and care for their children. Okay, so that's what the biblical call of fathers are. If you're a dad in this place, you are called to love and care for your children. And children are called to what? Obey. That, that's, you're like, really? Yeah. That's your role as a parent. It is required that your children obey you. It is a good thing to require obedience from the kids that God has given you. Because this is how it's supposed to work. Because this models our relationship with God. Moms and dads care and love for their children, and children respond to that love and care with obedience. So catch this. Peter calls us children because of our new birth. We are born into the family of God, which means that God is our father. This is amazingly good news. Even if your dad was a terrible dad, now I know that's true for some of us. I know some of us had terrible dads. I know that. But even if your dad was a dweeb, don't call him that, but even if he was, through Jesus, you got a brand new dad who loves you and cares for you perfectly. However, that's true. Our heavenly father expects us to obey him. So Peter tells us, be obedient children of God. So what do God's kids do? We no longer conform to our evil desires, but rather we live holy lives in all we do. So so I love Peter here because he's acknowledging something true about you and me. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us are still struggling with some evil desires? Yeah, can I get a witness? Yes, amen, right? Like you see it in your heart, I see it in my heart. There's some evil desires. There's some things that sometimes I desire that I'm like, that is not from the Spirit of God. That is not Jesus. Peter says, don't conform to those evil desires, but live holy lives. See, because God has saved you, you are no longer supposed to live your life doing evil. Instead, your life is now defined by your resemblance to your father. So my wife, Cheryl, one of her favorite pastimes um, is trying to decide who kids look like, which parent kids look like. And we talk about this copious amounts of time given to this topic. And she loves looking at babies and she'll say, I think he or she looks like her dad or her mom. And we went to see uh, Jeff and Becky Martin. Some of you know them. Jeff leads worship here a lot. Jeff and Becky just had their second son, Lucas James. We went to see Lucas James at Paoli Hospital, uh, which is really far from our house. I just want to say that, Jeff. Hope you listen to the podcast. And so we got, we got into the room, and there's Lucas James, and we're looking at Lucas James, and we both kind of look at each other. I'm like, Jeff, this looks like your mom. Like, Lucas, I could see your mom, Loretta, in Lucas's face. And then, and, and we, Cheryl and I, just, we, we just do this. It's just something we do, and it's sweet, and it's fun, because there's family resemblance there. Some of you have probably looked at my kids, Joseph, Lucy, and Olivia, and I don't know about you, but Olivia doesn't look a shred like me other than she's enormous, right? I mean, she's just a tall girl. Lucy, I, she got a little bit of my genes, but, you know, thank the Lord, looks more like Cheryl. And then Joseph, I mean, if he wasn't big, you'd be like, I don't even know if he belongs to you, Joe. My kids look more like Cheryl than they do like me. There's something about family resemblance, though, 
that you can tell children look like their parents. Be holy as I am holy. Catch this. When we live holy lives, we're becoming like our Father. See, the reason you are to be holy in all you do is because God's will for your life is to be like Him. That's not drudgery, that's joy. What does it mean to be holy practically? It means you are devoted to a life of righteousness, moral purity, because God is perfectly righteous and pure in His very being. To be holy means that you live your life in such a way that it reflects that you belong to God. God is completely holy in all He does. That means you are to be holy in all you do. Every part of your life should reflect God's holiness. Your spending, your giving, your thoughts, your motives, your words, your attitude, your eating, your drinking, your Facebook posts, your work ethic, your entertainment choices, your sexuality, your dating relationships, the way you treat your waiter or waitress, the way you respond when someone cuts you off in traffic. Just make sure you're listening, like, oh, that counts, that counts. Your schedule, the way you treat your employees and conduct your business, the way you talk about politics, the way you think about people from other races and backgrounds, all should reflect the holiness of God. Why? Because you're one of his kids. Because you're a child of God, you should be living in such a way that reflects you belong to him. Here's the third thing. Not only are we supposed to live in hope and live in holiness, we're also supposed to live in fear. I need to explain that. What does it mean to live in fear? 1 Peter 1.17 says this, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, one thing I want you to know is, in the Greek, the word reverent isn't there. That's an interpretation of the word fear. Like, they're trying to soften the word fear. I want you to know that it actually says in the Scriptures, in light of who God is, fear God. In light of who God is, live in fear of God. You're like, that doesn't sound happy and hopeful. Peter gives us two reasons why we should live in fear of God our Father. It's a strange thought, isn't it? Like we emphasize God's fatherhood, and now all of a sudden we're talking about fearing Him. Here's the first reason you should fear God. Because God is our judge and he will judge your work. He won't judge, if you're a Christian, whether or not you're going to spend eternity in heaven, but he will judge your work. He's an impartial judge. There won't be different rules for different people. So all the excuses that you make and I make about why we're not living holy lives... That's not going to be a good reason for the Lord. He is an impartial judge. I'm not going to stand before God and say, well, God, I want you to know that I spent my life as a pastor, and I think I'm a really good dad, and you know my parents, they really loved you too, and my grandma really loved you, and so here I am. I probably, you should take all that into account because I'm great. Nope. He's going to impartially judge me, and he's going to impartially judge you. 
And the one thing that I want you to know today is that faith in Jesus saves, but the standard of judgment that God is going to use to reward or not reward your work is your actions. We will stand before God, and this should cause us to fear, when we live our lives without hope and without holiness. When we are tempted to conduct ourselves in a way that reveals that our hope is in money rather than God, we should fear. When we are tempted to act in a way that would show that our hope is in the pleasure of pornography instead of God, we should fear. When we aren't holy in all we do, we should fear. This is one critical piece of truth missing from American Christianity. And I don't want that to be true of us at Spring Valley Community Church. One of the main reasons why the church looks exactly like the world is because we have been beating the drum of grace and the fatherhood of God, which I'm going to beat that drum till Jesus returns or I die. But if we only beat the drum that God is gracious and that God is a good father, and we don't also acknowledge that the scriptures also teach that we will stand before him and be judged for the way we lived our lives, we're not being truthful. Now, that is a huge deal. Let me read you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, because some of you are like, I don't agree with that. Well, okay, don't agree with me, but agree with Paul. He says, and this is pretty clear, right? For we must all stand. Okay, so who's Paul speaking about? Who's all? All. Okay, good. You guys are totally with me. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Whew. Now, this is not about whether you're going to get to heaven. This is not about whether God sees you as righteous. But there is a judgment for God's people that comes at the end of our lives. And we will be rewarded or not so much rewarded based on how we lived. So what we should fear, what Peter is telling us to fear is... Fear living your life without hope and without holiness because God is a judge and you will stand before him someday. Here's the second reason Peter gives us for living in fear of God alone. Peter says this in verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter tells us, here's why we should fear God, because our redemption was costly. I want you to know this morning that you have been redeemed if you've given your life to Jesus. What does it mean to be redeemed? Redemption is an Old Testament picture of salvation. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, God freed them from their slavery by leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land. But here's the thing about redemption. Redemption always requires a ransom payment. In the Old Testament, it was the Passover lamb. In the New Testament, it was the precious blood of Jesus. 
The ransom payment for our redemption is not gold and silver, but rather the price of your redemption is the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Jesus' sacrificial death, the spilling of his blood, means that we are people who have been set free from an empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. We are free from a life that is void of hope and void of holiness. The reason you and I should fear God is because the cost of our redemption was the life of His Son. When we live our lives without hope and without holiness, it reveals that we have no appreciation for the infinite value of Jesus Christ. Your salvation, your forgiveness, your future hope has come at great cost to God. And we should fear treating the sacrifice of Jesus like garbage. That's what we should fear this morning. That when we choose to live unholy lives and when we excuse our sin and when we push away our sin and when we let just bad attitudes and sinful words and and lust and greed reign in our hearts and we act like it's no big deal, we treat the blood of Jesus like trash. And Peter says, fear God because he paid with the blood of his son for our redemption. That should, I hope, scare us. Oh, I ought not to do that because God gave his son to purchase me from evil. So I have a question. Is there a sense of awe, wonder, thankfulness, joy, humility, and fear in your soul over the reality that the living God gave his life for your salvation. Is that true of you? Or are you bored to death with your Christianity? That's not on God. That's on you for not girding up the loins of your mind and for not valuing Christ. If Christ is your treasure, Christianity is never boring or stale. If money is your treasure and God is a means to get more money, you will be bored, I promise. Nowhere in Scripture did God say, I have come so you can be rich and have all the pleasure and comfort you desire in this life. The abundant life of Jesus is a life of surrender and sacrifice and death. The path to the greatest joy on earth is humility, sacrifice, and the way of the cross. Are we going to be a holy people? Not perfect but holy. Peter leaves us today with a whole lot to be thankful for when he reminds us about the goodness of God to us through Jesus Christ. This is how Peter ends this section. He's talking about Jesus here. He says, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So Peter tells us live in hope, live in holiness, live in fear, but he concludes by reminding us that the God who we are called to fear as judge is also the God who we are called to trust as Savior. Here's what I want you to know about the goodness of God. He planned our redemption long before time began. He sent forth his son, Jesus, for our sake. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead and glorified him so that you and I can live lives of unbelievable hope. 
so that we can be saved from the coming wrath, so that on the day of judgment we will be declared not guilty. God has planned your salvation from before the beginning of time in Christ Jesus. Why live in hope? Why live in holiness? Why live in fear? Because God loves you so much that he planned to Give his son as a sacrifice. And Jesus loves you so much that he willingly laid down his life so that we can be forgiven, set free, saved, and hopeful in our coming inheritance. I have three questions for you this morning. Three questions. These are short questions, but I think they're so weighty. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Don't leave. We're going to be here another four minutes. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to really think about these three questions. Is my life defined by hope? Is my life defined by hope? Hope in Jesus' second coming, in Jesus' coming kingdom, in Jesus alone, is my life defined by hope. If you're feeling anxious, worried, concerned, angry, frustrated, fearful, hopeless, your life's not being defined by hope. What are you supposed to do? Think hard about the truth of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Here's the second question. Am I holy in all I do? Don't blow that question off. It's going to take more than 15 seconds to think about all you do. All you do. Here's what I found in my own life. The more I commit myself to holiness, the more I see places where I'm not. Are you holy in all you do? Last question, do I fear God? Do I fear God? Is my view of God, buddy Jesus in heaven who winks at me, he's like a big senile grandpa that doesn't see anything I do? Is he just up there saying, oh, it's all okay, do whatever you want, I don't care, grace, 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 grace. Or do you fear him? Do you know that Jesus said the day will come when we'll have to give an account for every idle word we'll speak? That, that's scary. I want to ask you this morning, is the tenor of your life joy in God and yet a healthy, reverent respect that he is the king of all kings and he is not to be taken lightly? This morning... I want to ask you to take some time and think about those. I think some of us probably need to repent. I think that's fair. I think some of us see some of these questions and maybe we just push them away and that's not for me, but I want to know, are, are you going to be humble before the Lord this morning? I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss us, but if you know you need to do business with God this morning, Caitlin is going to play for the next five or six minutes, and we're not going to start tearing down, okay? We're not going to start tearing down until five or six minutes from now. 
And we want to let this space in this room just be a place to reflect on these questions and ask the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and say, God, show me where I've misplaced my hope. God, show me where I'm not living a holy life. God, show me where there's not a healthy fear of who you are in my life. I want to encourage you to take time to do that. I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed. I want to just remind our new guests that our new guest reception will begin probably in about 10 minutes at 11.30, right down this hallway. If this is your first time at Spring Valley or your 10th time at Spring Valley and you've never been to our new guest reception, would love to have you. Drop your orange cards in the bucket on the way out. But if you need to do business with God, enjoy his presence. You can come across the front of this stage. You can get alone with him. And if you need to go, no problem. But let's let this room from the black curtains to the front be a sacred space where we ask these questions and let God put his finger on areas of our life. Lord, thank you so much for every person in this room. Lord, I don't preach this message as a man who is always holy, always hopeful, and always fearful. But Lord, we want to live for you as a church. We want to take you seriously. We want to follow hard after you. And Lord, I pray for us that when you look across our region, you would see this body of believers and you would say, they love my mission. They care about reaching lost people. They care about making disciples and they care about being holy in all they do. God, do that work in this place and in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.